as Associate Reformed Presbyterians, we've long been a, a people uh, for whom the Psalms hold a special place. So on special occasions, we like to turn to the Psalms, and today is no different. Looking at Psalm 16, uh, which your Bible will tell you is, is a mictum of David. I'll read these words for us. I hope you'll follow along in your own Bible or the bulletin insert. This is where David writes, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel, and the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to shoal, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know, if you take these three words that you see in the sermon title, past, present, and future, and do a search on the internet, you'd be surprised at the number of quotations that you can find where people are talking about those three categories of time. And some of those quotations are somewhat deep, make you think about things. Others of them are very light-hearted, uh, what we might say created for the masses. Uh, for example, you've probably heard or read this one, yesterday's the past, tomorrow's the future, today is a gift. That's why it's called the present. That sounds like it's right out of a Hallmark card to me. I, I don't know about you. Or think about Einstein's words. Learn from yesterday, live for today, hope for tomorrow, the important thing is to never stop questioning. Now, I don't know how all three-year-olds have read that quotation, but they never stop questioning, much to their parents' chagrin. Then there are those people who are trying to teach us something and go a little deeper. John F. Kennedy once said, change is the law of life. Those who look only to the past or present are certain to miss the future. 
or if you want something to think about over lunch or maybe the rest of the week, think on St. Augustine's words. There is no saint without a past, no sinner without a future. No saint without a past, no sinner without a future. And the reason I'm talking about the past, present, and future is because in our text this morning, we can see David speak to God's work in his life in the past, in the present, as well as what he will do in the future. And for me, he speaks to God's work in the past so well. When he writes, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I can't tell you the number of times I've used that verse in a funeral. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever stop and think that the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places? Do you look at how God has blessed you? Do you think about the people that he's placed in your life? Maybe it was a special grandparent. Maybe it was some aunt or uncle or a child or grandchild. Maybe it was some kind of spiritual mentor to you in the faith. There are all sorts of ways that the lines can fall for us in pleasant places because of the generosity shown to us by God and by other people. You know, I've read that Martin Luther King Jr., the man that most of us would say is the father of the civil rights movement, never claimed that title for himself. He supposedly gave that honor to his father, Martin Luther King Sr. But sometime before his death, Daddy King said that the real father of the civil rights movement was the African-American preacher who baptized him, a man by the name of Pascal. But the Reverend Mr. Pascal had said before he died that the real father of the civil rights movement was a white Georgia legislator named Robert Alston, a man who long before civil rights became a public issue, proposed legislation for fair and humane treatment of African-American convicts, and he was shot and killed for it. Now, if you're wondering why the Reverend Pascal made such a statement, I believe it's not just about Mr. Alston's political decisions, but also his generosity. Because you see, it was that state legislator, Mr. Alston, who paid for Mr. Pascal to go to seminary. And Pascal baptized Daddy King, and Daddy King was the father of Martin Luther King, Jr. Their lives weren't easy. In fact, there was a great deal of tragedy amongst all of them. But they were blessed. I believe if you had asked them, they would have said, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places because of those who have gone before them, just like you and me. God has blessed us. He's blessed this congregation in so many ways. I mean, just think about the abundant leadership this congregation has enjoyed almost right 
from the get-go in a church plant. City leaders were involved in this congregation. And there's always been this abundant leadership and we have such a great generation of new leaders coming into this church right now. There's the new little lives born into this church. I know you're tired of me talking about all the babies that have been born lately, but I'm not tired of them, and I hope you aren't either. Uh, But just think about all of the new little lives that have been born into this church over the past 127 years or whatever it is now, and many of those grew up and remained here. You know, there were people helping in the dance yesterday that were my young people when I was here in the early 80s. And they're still in this church and they're still serving. Think about the generous giving in the life of this church. The platoon of volunteers and the faithful pastors you've had through the years, many of whom were here decade after decade after decade. It still amazes people that don't know the story of First ARP Church when I'm talking to them and I say, you know, I serve a church that's over 125 years old and I'm just the fifth installed pastor. And they look at you like you're crazy. Because their churches might not be as old and they have a a hallway of pictures that might be 12 or 15 different pastors. And think about not only how we've been blessed as a congregation but as a denomination. Today we're emphasizing some of our Scottish heritage. Of course, those of us who are referred to as Scots-Irish, especially of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church have mostly lowlander ancestors. But I think it pays to remember that Ebenezer Erskine was preaching at the Sterling Church, uh, uh, the town of which is considered the gateway to the highlands. I've read where there were seceder pastors, uh, that is the associate side of our name, associate Presbyterians, pastoring and preaching in the highlands as well. But we're mostly from the lowlands. Our ancestors were men and women of strong faith who depended on God's word and his faithfulness. And they persevered through much persecution looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of their faith. They had the living hope of the resurrection just like we enjoy. And it's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And they have given us this heritage of faith that we enjoy. An emphasis on God's sovereignty and the other principles of Reformed theology. An emphasis on education, the importance of the local church and the free offer of the gospel and on and on I could go. What other tiny denomination has been blessed in so many ways as have we? Now, when we think of blessings, we normally think of things, especially when it comes to our denomination. Erskine College and Erskine Theological Seminary, Bon Clark and our conference center in Flat Rock, North Carolina, uh, World Witness, and all the missions that we have throughout the world on many of the continents 
of the world. But in thinking about the present day and his life, David points us towards spiritual lines that have fallen for him. For he says in verse 5 that the Lord is my portion and my cup. That's why he says that his lines have fallen in pleasant places. In essence, he spiritualizes the old land inheritance imagery that's all over the Old Testament and takes it to another level. The lines have fallen for him in pleasant places, not so much because he belongs to the tribe of Judah, but because he belongs to God. The Lord is his shepherd. God is his portion. And because of that, he lacks nothing in life. And as he speaks about the present, we can also see David speaking about comfort and security. In verses 8 and 9, for example, he says, I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. I dwell secure. You know, sometimes we find ourselves talking about someone else in our family or or someone we know at work, or someone at school, and we say something like, I I didn't realize that he or she was so insecure. I want to ask you, are you secure in your life? Where do we find our comfort and our security in life and all the way into death? The Heidelberg Catechism gives us a good answer with its very first question, which asks, what is your only comfort in life and in death? The beginning of the answer states that I'm not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. This is a comfort because it makes us secure, just like David is in this text. You know, last week we mentioned John Knox in our sermon, talked about how he's the father of Scottish Presbyterianism, and like Jeremiah, he worshipped a huge God. Knox's life verse was John 17.3. If you know your Bibles, you know that's in the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And that verse says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Knox always told those close to him that it was there, meaning John 17, 3, that I first cast my anchor. I just wonder, where is your anchor? Do you have one? Our Scottish forebears were just like Knox. The anchor in their lives was Jesus Christ, who is with us always and empowers us for His kingdom's work. This is the legacy of faith that they've passed down to us. Now, I know we live 
in a time and in a society with lots of crime and lots of terrible things happening and all kinds of things that can cause us fear. But our good news is David's testimony, not only here in this text, but all through the Psalms, that even during the most threatening times of our lives, even as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear any evil. Why? What does Psalm 23 tell us? Because God is with us. He is our portion and cup. He is our refuge and strength. It's under His wings that we find safety. Think about the metrical version of that Psalm 91. I know I mentioned that not too long ago in the sermon. I'm going to mention it again. Because it's worth remembering if you don't know these words. Under His wings, under His wings, safe in the refuge hide thee. Trusting His truth and faithfulness. No evil can betide thee. You see how it works? You've got to trust in His truth and faithfulness and then you're not so worried about whatever else is going on in your world. This means that even if you lose a spouse or a child or parent, if you have a prodigal son or a daughter or more than one, if you lose your job, or lose your good health, or your preacher should retire at the end of the year, which is what I intend to do, Lord willing. God is still your portion and cup. I'm not talking about positive thinking here. I know that in hard times and times of uncertainty, the suffering or pain or fear or whatever you're feeling, those things don't automatically go away. But I do know, like David, we are enabled by God's power. We would say enabled by His Holy Spirit to find the path of life within and through those kinds of difficult times. And I know this will be a challenging season in your lives because you're not used to this kind of thing. You know, this is only the second time in the past 55 years. Now, I want you to think about that a minute. This is only the second time in the past 55 years that you've had a senior pastor resign. So it's not a common occurrence for your pastor to retire. But as Dr. Rogers told this congregation back in 1948, I'm neither sick nor tired of preaching, but I've contracted an incurable disease known as old age. And those words hold true for me as well, though I don't want to admit it. I tried to prepare you for this starting back in the middle of August with the sermon series on 1 John entitled Assurance and Encouragement in an Uncertain Age. 
And I've continued to prepare you for this with the sermons during this month of October where we've talked about the importance of faith, walking not by sight but by faith with our eyes geared to Jesus Christ. And then we talked about God's wonderful promises to you and me out of Isaiah 43. And then just last week out of Jeremiah 1, we talked about how we worship and serve a huge God. A God who can do infinitely more than we think or imagine. And here this morning, David is pointing us toward a wonderful confidence in God's providential care and His grace that leads to this fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Because in verse 10, he talks about what God can do. How His presence is always at work and how He preserves life. And this is where David begins to look to the future. And that's the joy you'll have before you. To look toward the future. I was thinking back to my childhood and how I remember very clearly when preachers resigned in my home church of New Sterling. They were always resigning to go to some other church. They weren't resigning because they were retiring. But I always remembered uh, how hurt I felt and maybe even betrayed as a kid and thinking, you know, what in the world would happen? And the next guy who came in, I just loved him to death. And then when he left, the next guy who came in, I just loved him. God always, uh, you know, somehow seemed to know exactly what we needed as a congregation. And that will be true for you. You know, as David looks to the future, one application of this verse is that God can save people from physical death. That's the obvious application. We know that. We also know God doesn't always decide to do that, that there is a time to be born and a time to die. But many times we've seen God and our family and friends save people when they were right at the point of death, give them another six months, give them two more years, five years. One king, he gave 15 extra years, I think. Was that Hezekiah? Somebody like that. As we read through the Old Testament, we can read repeatedly how God delivered individuals and even nations as a whole. This is part of who he is as one who preserves life. But our good news today is that both Peter and Paul, two of the most famous preachers in the New Testament, use this verse in Psalm 16 to talk about God's good news of the gift of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter quotes four verses of this psalm in his sermon on the day of Pentecost that we can read in Acts 2. And in Acts 13 we can read where Paul is preaching in Antioch of Pisidia and uses part of verse 10 to assure the people of what God did and is doing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now you understand they're not just grasping at straws. 
they can interpret this psalm in this way because God had promised David that he would build of him a house, meaning a dynasty, an everlasting dynasty, and that he would set one of David's line on his throne. We can see that taught in Psalm 89 and 132, and this is why I think Peter includes it in his sermon. As one scholar put it, we must not think of David as an isolated individual, but as a covenantally converted one who carried his promised royal descendant, as it were, wrapped up with him. And of course, since David was a prophet, as Peter labels him in Acts 2, David predicts the resurrection of Messiah right here in this psalm. So, you know, you're just reading along in Psalm 16, and all of a sudden, it's a messianic psalm. It has the good news. It reminds us of what God is doing through His people. And at any given time, through the generations, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And our good news is that it promises us the same future of which David speaks here in our text. God has made known our path of life in Christ, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And in Him, in His resurrection, we have a joy that is full and gives us the strength we need. And at God's right hand in Christ, there are pleasures forevermore. Now and all the way into eternity. And I don't know about you, but that sounds like the good news of the gospel to me. Amen. Amen.